and here we go. Welcome to the Morning Brew with Stu. I'm your host, Stuart Brookingham. My guest today, a friend of mine, former roommate, and a regular contributor here on this podcast, Jake Walterhouse. Jake, welcome. Hey, what's going on? Not a whole lot. So for those of you who don't know, Jake's a Browns fan. Um, sorry, but um, <laughs> it's been it's been rough. But I think with with the hiring of Andrew Barry and bringing in Kevin Stefanski, I know people probably thought this when last year with Freddie Kitchens, but I think it's a turnaround stage for the Browns. I mean, I look at what Stefanski did with Dalvin Cook. He was arguably a top three running back in the league. And I like Nick Chubb. I wanted him. The Browns jumped in front of us and got him the year that they did. Just your thoughts real quick on – actually, it doesn't have to be quick, but your thoughts on both Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, and then we'll talk about Baker here in a minute. Um, well, Andrew Barry I'm a big fan of. I knew a little bit about him when um, – because he worked with the Browns his last – the job before his last one when he was with the Eagles, he was with the Browns. I can't remember what his job was, but he was pretty high up. It was when Sashi Brown was there, when they when – they, what the when they're basically the analytics when they were tanking the two years when they were terrible Sashi Brown and Andrew Barry they they kind of set that up by trading all their picks and stuff like that or trading all their players for picks you know moving back moving back but I like it I heard I've heard great things about him um he started off with the Colts I don't know if you knew that he was yeah. a scout with the Colts yeah um I listened to the Pat McAfee show and he talked a lot about how sharp Andrew Barry was and he said that he was a really smart dude and obviously at 32 years old to get that kind of job you obviously worked your butt off so I'm excited. And Stefanski, I'm a big fan of. Um, he's another guy. He's super young. He's not super um, proven. So a lot of people are kind of scared off maybe from like for Freddie Kitchens. But I think Stefanski's a super smart guy from what I've heard. Kitchens, not so much. What we found out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, the thing that I think, that think, I think is different about this front office and these coaching is we have a lot of selfless guys. Um, I think Dorsey and Kitchens were kind of guys that wanted the credit when if stuff were to go well. And I think that um, right now they have a lot of guys working in unison. I think it's going to work. And obviously Stefanski's system works perfect for Baker, getting out of the pocket, um, not putting a lot of pressure on him. And obviously Nick Chubb is going to feast in it as he even feasted last year. But the zone system is what Nick Chubb knows best. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, if you know Baker had a down year last year, kind of picked it up I don't blame that on Baker I mean if you look at Baker Mayfield in college they ran four, it was 45 percent of hard play action so mm-hmm. it was a lot of run the ball and then make something off the play action yeah and when Freddie Kitchens came in for the fired Hugh Jackson they ran a lot of play action and Baker had a lot of success and that's where yeah. the hype came from but I think what happened last year again I'm on the outside looking in I don't know it like you do but I think that Freddie Kitchens bought into having Jarvis Landry, having a Baker Mayfield, having an Odell Beckham Jr. and tried to throw the ball down the field and really got away from what Baker was successful at until the end of the year. Baker started looking a little bit better. Again, I think Stefanski bringing that run game in and making Nick Chubb as successful as he, we think he will be will benefit Baker. Also bringing in Jack Conklin and then drafting Jedrick Wills doesn't hurt anything either. No, not at all. Um, yeah, it's pretty much exactly what you said. Um, I heard, I can't remember where I heard it, that the year when Hugh was fired in like Kitchens and then did really well, it sounded like um, Kitchens actually used a lot of Todd Haley's offense. 
which a lot of people I don't think knew. So when, when Kitchens was kind of given all the reins, and it sounds like Kitchens is very stubborn about giving up play calling, like Todd Moken, who they hired as offensive coordinator, had no control, and that caused a lot of friction. But um, it sounds like, I mean, from what just purely watching the games, it was a lot of four verticals. It was a lot of – it was not very good on Baker. It was a lot of high-pressure stuff on Baker. Um, Stefanski, they're big on setting up the run for the pass, and I'm really excited about that. So I think that's going to take a lot of pressure off Baker, but – Listen, I think this I think year there's Baker, no excuses. <laughs> exactly. And I was going to, I was going to say this. Uh, I like Baker a lot, but you know, first year he came on hot last year, he struggled a little bit. I'm not saying this is like a make it or break it year, but it's a new, it's a new regime. They didn't draft you. The next two drafts are a quarterback heavy draft. I mean, mm-hmm. next year we have, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, and then the next year possibly Sam Howe and Spencer Rattler, who are going to be two guys that are just going to tear up the league, in my opinion. Yep. I mean, is this make it or break it for Baker? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's going to be very close. Obviously, it's something to evaluate if he doesn't have a – if he comes out and just does what he did last year, um, I think very well. I don't think they're going to cut him or anything, but I think it's definitely something that they'll, they'll hard scalp the quarterbacks. Um, he's got to show He's got to show improvement. He's got to show a little bit of what he did his rookie year. Um, I mean, it's his third year. If you're not showing it in your third year, um, complete regression every year. I mean, I don't know what you want. The league, it's a, it's a, it's a league where they'll get rid of you in a snap. So that's been my thing with, and I don't know if you follow me on Twitter, but that, that's been my oh, thing yeah. with J- with Jameis Winston. Is it's yeah. been five, it's been five years, and thirty interceptions. Sorry, just doesn't do it for me. I get the talents there, but. Yeah, with Baker, I, I like Baker. You like Baker. I like his attitude. Colin Cowherd and his idiotic takes on the the Baker Mayfield <laughs> thing is ridiculous to me. I think that's what Cleveland needs because I think it. I think that is Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would one hundred percent agree. I think he's he's perfect for Cleveland. Um, pretty much. I mean, pretty much aside from some people that are a little skeptical about how he was, he's he's pretty much well liked across the board, which you don't see very often in Cleveland. So yeah, we want to. We were gonna we're gonna do a draft uh, review and talk about some of the drafts. One of my favorite players and a guy I've talked to you about is Isaiah Simmons, and I think Isaiah Simmons has Steph Curry, Russell Wilson effect possible possibility in the NFL. Or and what I mean by that is before Steph Curry, you know, it was pound the ball down low to your big man, put the ball up in the basket. You could shoot the three occasionally. You know, you had three-point specials like Ray Allen and them, but now everybody shoots the three. And Russell Wilson, you know, is the reason Baker went number one overall. Kyler Murray went number one overall. Tua was a top-five pick, and um, that Johnny Manziel got drafted in the first round. So, to me, I feel like Isaiah Simmons can have that kind of impact in the league. What do you think? I think so. I mean, I think he's super talented. I think he's he can be very versatile in a way. Um, I hope the Cardinals can utilize him because I think he's a player that his fit was very big because I don't think he's necessarily great at anything. I think he's just very good at many things. So, like, if you utilize him in many of those ways, he becomes a great player. But if you just kind of hold him to design, I saw a tweet that said that the Cardinals want to use him as a linebacker, which is very terrible to see if they end up doing that. Vance Joseph said they don't want to really use him as a safety as a corner, which I don't. I don't think is smart at all. Um, I don't think. I think drafting a guy because of his versatility and then not letting him use that versatility is 
makes no sense. But he's an extremely good player. I think he'll obviously find his way on the field starting from day one. He'll be a good player, but I think between good and great is how you utilize him. So I really hope the Cardinals can figure that out. Yeah, I agree 100%. Speaking of somebody that we really love, and he got a lot of heat for the uh, for where he got drafted. It's not really his fault, but Jordan Love. Uh, I remember where I was exactly when you texted me and said, hey, have you heard, have you seen this Jordan Love kid? I was at Vincennes working on a uh, school project. And I hadn't seen him at the time because, again, I was working on the project. But I went back and watched the film and then texted you and said, oh, my God, this kid's going to be a first-round pick. Uh, mm-hmm. Had a down year last year. I like him. I think he had a down season. He had to carry the team a little bit. At first, I was a little harsh on the interceptions. But the more I watched the film, the more I realized it wasn't necessarily his fault. I think he'll, ha- he'll be successful in Green Bay, but I think they're going to have to change the way they draft in order for him to be su- successful. What are your thoughts on Jordan Love and where he landed? I like him. There was a lot of variables that led to last year. Obviously, he has a lot of stuff he needs to work on. He has a lot of decision-making, a lot of bonehead plays where he tried to fit it into super tight windows. Um, losing his coach, losing his playmakers, losing pretty much the new – having to learn a new offense, a lot of that's not easy. But um, – like I said, he'd still flashed. He has a lot of stuff he needs to work on. I think going to the Packers, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I don't really know how to feel about it because the Packers not refusing to address playmakers. And then basically drafting somebody and Aaron Rodgers is still – I mean, he's not as great as he used to be, but they were in the NFC Championship last year. you think that they draft think draft people that can contribute to maybe getting them in the Super Bowl? Maybe, you know, that can help out so they don't give up 200 rushing yards. I mean, or San Francisco is still running. Yeah, so. yeah, give up, what is that, like 185 yards after contact in the NFC Championship or before contact, or just even as much as just giving Aaron Rodgers some pass catchers because they, they the cupboard was pretty bare last year, and then they lost Geronimo Allison, so they're going to run out there with Devontae Adams, who's obviously a perennial pro bowler, but then Marquez Valdez-Stantling and Alan Lazard, who are two guys that can be – that are usually cut at any time. Like, they're kind of fringe yeah. roster players in most places, so – I don't know. It, it, it sucks because I'd rather him go somewhere where I could like his fit. I like how it's a place where he doesn't have to start day one. But then again, it's always going to be laced with maybe the reason Rodgers is ran out of town. <laughs> so you never know. Exactly. But I, I like the fit overall. I think it's a, he's going to a, a young quarterback, quarterback-friendly coach that can groom him for a couple years. I, I agree with that completely. And, you know, I think, again, Jordan Love, when I turned on the tape, it was hard. I hate doing player comps. I do do them, but I hate it. But I do it so that, like, people who follow can under, at least kind of understand, like, what I think this player at least can be. I usually mm-hmm. do high-end to low-end comps. Like, it just works out well. This is who they'll be. If, they, if it doesn't, this is who they'll be. I didn't want to make the comp. I refused for the longest time to make the comp to Patrick Mahomes. Because it's not fair, because if he doesn't come out his first year and throw 50 touchdowns and then the next year win the MVP, is a bust. But here's the thing. Very few people can make the throws that Jordan Love can make. Very few. Aaron, the person that he's going to be backing up and then Patrick Mahomes are about the only two that can make those throws. Yeah. But, all right, and for those of you who don't know Jake, he's very – very smart on a wide variety of sports. One one of the people I look up to actually, and I do a lot of 
football in this because it's my strength. It's my that's what I go to. Jake, his strength is football and basketball, and he watches a lot of tape on basketball. I mean, I heard him on another podcast talking about some of the point guards, and he did a really good job. And I would like the way he broke down the film. So I'm going to go with not just point guards, but your top five overall players coming up in this NBA draft. Um, I haven't necessarily done a big board yet, but I do kind of have an idea. Um, I'll kind of do it in no order. Um, I'm a big fan of um, Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. Um, I think he's a fantastic player. He kind of went under the radar because he played at Iowa State, who's normally pretty good, but this last year was pretty bad aside from him. Uh, pretty god-awful aside from him. Um, he broke his wrist about, like I think, like January, February. And um, the team went in a tailspin. But even with that, really no help around him and no future NBA players likely around him, he still managed to put up about 15, seven assists, seven rebounds, and shot very over 50% from the field, over 40% from three. Um, he has kind of a funky jump shot, but I think it's a jump shot that can be a little refined, so it's a little bit quicker. But his big thing is length. He's about, I think, about 6'5", about 6'11", 6'10", wingspan at a point guard. A little skinny, but he's super long. Um, there's kind of no wasted movement with him, which I think is a big deal in basketball. Um, I think his attribute is his passing, though. He does a fantastic job of finding his players, whether it be in the fast break or the half-court game. Um, he knows where to put the ball for his shooters. Um, and he can get to the basket, like I said, the no-wasted movement. He can get to the basket in a couple of steps because he likes to, he knows how to use that length. So, but he's one of my favorites. Um, Another one would be, I was trying to think, obviously James Wiseman from Memphis. He's one not many people know about. Um, they call him the unicorn for a reason because he's a player, 7-1. I'm not sure of his wingspan, but he's ridiculously long, and he can he moves like a guard. He's got soft feet, soft hands, um, shooting touch, um, crazy rim protection ability. Um, I have him in there too. Um, another one that I would pro obviously have in there is going to be Anthony Edwards. Um, I think he's a player that screams kind of you look at him and you think you can think prime D Wade when you look at some of the moves he makes and he's doing it at 18 years old in college. He has a really, um, really refined pro game already. Um, he's built like a brick house, he's got an NBA body, his jump shot shows some promise, needs a little more consistency to it. But his big thing is going to be decision making. He's got a real issue with shot selection. So I think fit's going to be a big deal with Edwards about what kind of, like, routine he can get and um, tendencies he can gain in the NBA. Um, trying to think. Another one's obviously going to be um, LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball is the most polarizing player in this draft. He's always going to be with that last name. Um, he's a phenomenal player, though. A lot of people want to take away from him with his past and his family, but he's a phenomenal player. Um, he's right there with Halliburton on the players that are just naturally gifted passers, um, make their teammates around him better. Um, ball's extremely long, too, about 6'7" about close to seven foot wingspan. He's a willing defender, not the best, but definitely willing. So like I said, coaching is going to be big for that. Um, uh, but like I said, same thing with Edwards. It's all about where he goes and how he is, but I think he's a phenomenal talent. I don't think he really has a comparison. A lot of these other players, you can have comparisons for them. Um, Lamelo's one that I kind of think is on an island. He doesn't really have a comparison. Um, and one that I would probably maybe put in there, not sure yet, I'd have to do a board and I'll end up putting one out, but um, it's Isaac Okoro from Auburn. Um, he's one that's kind of tough for a lot of people because if you look at his box score, he didn't put up big numbers, about 12 points, five rebounds. But the thing with him is he's 18 years old. He is about, I want to say six, seven, about 30 pounds. 
Um, he's built like a brick house. And I think he's going to be the – he's obviously the best defender in the draft, and I think he can be one of the best wing defenders in the NBA the second he's drafted. So I think um, he compares really favorably to me to Jalen Brown. If he can – like Jalen Brown coming out of college, super raw, super athletic, super talented on defense. Um, if he can kind of fine-tune a lot of his shooting and stuff like that, I think he can definitely be a player like Jalen Brown. Um, uh, another player. Um, maybe you could touch on is Killian Hayes. He's one from um, – France, uh, the ringer just put out there, uh, I think it was Kevin O'Connor's his name, put out their big board. He had him as his number one player on his big board. That shocked a lot of people, but I've known I've known about Hayes for a few a couple years now. Um, he's a smooth lefty point guard, about six four, six five, not physically imposing, but he has one of the smoothest pro games you'll see because he naturally played in it. He played in um a high pro league these last couple of years, put up good numbers. Um remind, remind any people that watch the NBA a lot about D'Angelo Russell in the way that he's a lefty, smooth. His pick and, pick and roll game is kind of where he flourishes. Um, jump shot, it's not bad. It kind of comes from a lower trajectory, so that obviously needs to be tweaked a little bit. But I think he's got a lot of raw talent. But um, I think a lot of thing with this draft is there are, there's a lot of raw players, and I think a lot of it's going to depend on fit, depending on if these players become superstars or if they become just okay. So, um, The sportingnews.com. Uh, I'm not sure who wrote the article, but their list of the top five players were Anthony Edwards, one, two, LaMelo Ball, Killian Hayes was three, Tyrese Halliburton, four, and five is James Wiseman. Would you say this draft is very much about, I, I, I want to say more of like what you like, like what kind of style you like, who you like more, as Definitely. opposed to one definite number one overall pick? 100%. Because last year, obviously, you had Zion. Um, whoever got the number one pick was going to pick Zion. You find a, you find a fit for a player like him. I think this year, um, I don't want to talk like talking about the 2013 draft because it was so terrible. But the one with Anthony Bennett. But it's one of the ones where no one is going to know who the number one pick is going to be, aside from something being leaked. Um, of the day of the draft, no one's going to know. So a lot of it's going to be the lottery is going to be a lot. It's not going to be a Zion sweepstakes as it was last year. It's going to determine a lot about how these teams are going to view see their boards when their pick comes up. And then my question for you is how long does this last? How much does the coronavirus affect where these people are going to get drafted? Because I mean, you can't work them out. You can't see what they got. So, you yeah. know, they'll have to do zoom meetings like we are. How much do you think this will affect where, who goes number one overall? Uh, I think it's going to, uh, number one, maybe not so much. I think where it's going to start to come into play is maybe kind of add the lottery when you have a lot of guys that, because um, the NBA workouts are crucial for a lot of guys like that. A lot of guys that maybe weren't asked to do certain things in the NBA or in college that the NBA teams are going to want to see from them. Uh, one example would have been um, Jordan Poole from Michigan. He was drafted in the first round by the Warriors. When he declared from the draft, I want to say he was like fringe 60th on big boards, maybe undrafted. And then he went through workouts, and I read about how he distributed. He showed a lot of uh, playmaking and facilitating that he really wasn't asked to do at Michigan, that he showed a lot in the physical workouts in person, and that ended up playing him in the back end of the first round. So there's going to be a lot of guys like that. I don't know the exact numbers now, but I know there's a lot of guys. The, the underclassmen um, declare number is a lot smaller than it was last year because of this, in my opinion. I watched, you know, I'm a Butler basketball fan. You know that. Anybody that's listening knows that. I've watched a lot of Big East basketball, and I'm going to tell you, a team that was very scary in the Big East, and I felt like had a chance to win a national championship or at least compete for it 
the reason I say that is it was more wide open this year than it's been in a while is Seton Hall. Um, I think Seton Hall is a very talented team, and they gained Bryce Aiken earlier in the year, who I looked up the stats a couple weeks ago. He's a heck of a player. How big mm-hmm. is that for Seton Hall? I think it's big because obviously they had Miles Powell running the show for a couple of years, and he's gone now. Um, I think he kind of can fit that role with Powell where he can come in and kind of be not necessarily – he can be the point guard, but not the playmaking passing point guard in a way. He can be the scoring point guard. He can kind of fill that role. I don't think he's going to be as good as Powell, but I think it's extremely good, extremely big get for them and kind of keeps them in that top half of the Big East because they are losing a lot of people like uh, Powell or Romaro Gill. And our boy Romaro Gill. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, obviously, it's a fantastic get. A lot of people after him. He was down to, like, Michigan, Maryland, and Seton Hall, I believe. But he went with – obviously, I would be surprised if the reason he went to Seton Hall wasn't because of Miles Powell and his effect. So, I think it's yeah. huge for them. All right. Um, I, listen, I, I have said multiple times on my personal Twitter, because I haven't had the Morning Brew Twitter very long, that I felt like Kamar Baldwin – is the most underrated point guard in the country. And at the time that I said that, I feel like it was justified. But I will say this year has been his his year. This has been his team. And I'll let you elaborate on what I'm about to say, but a lot of times, minus one game versus Villanova, when we needed a big – when it was, okay, Kamara, take over the game, he just didn't do it. He disappeared in the big moments. It was Sean McDermott that really carried our team. And last year it was Paul Jorgensen. I like Kamar. I think he's a good distributor. But how do you think he translates to the NBA? Or does he? Um, personally, I don't really think he's an NBA player. Um, I think, I mean, obviously his physical makeup. He's a very small player. I think he's borderline six foot, six one. I'm not sure what his wingspan was, but he's not a very physically imposing player. Um, his, his big thing, I kind of was looking over his numbers and when I watched, he's not a consistent shooter, which I think at a guy that size, if you're under, if you're a point guard and you're fringe six foot, six one, and you're not a consistent three point shooter in college, it's tough to see you being a consistent three point shooter when they back you up three to five feet. So, um, for me, I think what he, he, what he's, his role is going to end up being, he's going to have to carve out a role maybe on a summer league team. Um, he's going to have to take advantage of all the chances he's got, whether it be a summer league team, maybe a two-way contract, G League, uh, maybe go overseas a little bit. Um, not going to obviously write him off completely, but I think he's definitely got an uphill battle to finding an NBA roster spot. I mean, it worked for his former teammate, Keelan Martin. I mean, yeah. he had a big deal yeah. from the Timberwolves. Yeah. So, you know, so Keelan had a really good summer league with the Wolves, so sometimes that's all it takes. Exactly. Uh there was some news, big news. I don't, I'm pretty. I'm sure you've probably heard it. The NCAA is allowing players to make money off their likeness. This is something, Jake, me and you have both written papers about in mm-hmm. our classes, and we both have been on the pro-pay players. How big of a step is this for the NCAA? I mean, they realized a kid that didn't choose UCLA, he went overseas to play or went to the G League to play basketball as opposed to going to the NCAA, mm-hmm. I think that rushed their decision. Mm-hmm. But how big of a move for the NCAA is this to allow players to make li- money off their likeness? Oh, it's huge. It's pretty much a – it's better late than never because this is long overdue in my opinion. Um, it's just you have players that have been generating millions and millions and millions of dollars, probably up to billions at this point. I think they said when I did my paper, the 
NCAA was a billion dollar a year industry and it's yeah. not for profit. So you, you think about all that revenue and the, the only, the only thing the players would be seeing was like some scholarships where most of them aren't even seeing those scholarships for four years. Um, and then like the free meals and stuff like that. But yeah, there's, there was a lot of, there was a lot of give from the players and there wasn't a lot of take the players. Um, I think obviously Jalen Green, uh, Deshaun Nix was the guy you're talking about from UCLA. And then um, Isaiah Todd going to the G League. That's three top 15 players deciding to go to the G League. And it's because this G League deal is too hard to pass up. I'm not sure if you've seen the, spe the specifics on it. Um, I think Nix got $300,000. Um, Todd and Green got $500,000. Um, they're only going to play like, I think, eight to 10 games in the G League for a team in Southern California. So they get half a million dollars they're told to go to California only play basketball and then if one of the guys has maybe a traumatic knee injury god forbid um the G League is going to give $125,000 college stipends for these players if they do want to end up going to college later on in life so I think it's one of the things where I mean unless like if you're going to put the pros and cons to it the G League is just dominating it I mean the options the options there um, I know there was six to seven players that declined it, but those players were already signed with their college team. So I think that makes the decision a lot harder for them to go back on that. But I think it's fantastic. I think it's long overdue. Um, I think it's finally time that the, my, my big thing wasn't necessarily just straight up paying the players, but just letting the players benefit off their own God-given name um, and letting them generate their own revenue if it's there for them. Like letting Zion sign an go to an autograph signing and for $10 an autograph and do that if he wants it because his name. Yeah, the only, the only thing with this, I mean, there's still a lot that the G League, where the difference between what the G League's still going to allow and what the NCAA allows is, you know, if, if AutoZone came up to one of these players in the G League and said, hey, uh, we want you to do an AutoZone commercial, they can. But mm -hmm. with this new rule in the NCAA, they, they can still not do that. What they can do, like you said, was take pictures and charge money for it, sell autographs and charge money for it. But signing shoe deals is still a no. Signing with Old Spice, still a no. I still think the G League, until the NCAA says, okay, fine, you can do these deals, will have the advantage. Yeah, I would agree. I'm not sure like how many people – I've only seen like 10 to 15 reported G League invites from people because right now it's only one team. They're all going to that one select team in California, so it's obviously going to be the upper echelon players. But um, like I said, I, I think it's just about letting the players benefit from their name. But like I said, the G League with what they've done, it's the NCAA can only do so much. I think the G League is going to offer more because now guys like Knicks, Jalen Green, Isaiah Todd, while, while they get all the stuff I just talked about, they also can – like you said, sign with Old Spice. They can sign with Under Armour. They can sign with Puma. They can sign. They can have agents throughout the entire process. And I think it's they're putting a lot of pressure on the NCAA, and I think it's ultimately going to lead to no one and done. I think it's going to lead to straight out of high school, with what it, which what it probably should be. Which I believe I believe the one and done is the NBA rule, not an NCAA rule, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I think the NBA winds up changing that. And I'm not going to say it. I mean, it will hurt the NCAA, but, I mean, LeBron came out of school and came out of high school, Kobe did, and there were still great college athletes. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's still going to be those guys who go the college basketball route because, you know, there's something about playing for, in, for UNC. There's something about playing for Duke. There's something about playing for them. But I also think at the same time, if you come from a house 
where you don't know where your next meal is coming from, it's going to be very, and you're, you're going to be a top five pick. I think it's going to be very, very easy to come right out of high school and go to the NBA. Oh, 100%. I think it's one of the things where it's, we, if the NBA makes this rule, it's just let the players make that decision for themselves. Like that's kind of where it all comes from. In my opinion, it's kind of just don't, I think some of these rules that we've had in the past have maybe kind of pigeonholed these people to certain things and having to like, you know, go through a year of college, even if their family's struggling to eat at home. Um, let the players do what they want. I mean, let them, if you want to, if you're only projected a late first round pick and, but you're, you know, you need the money, go pro, you know, bet on yourself. And I think that's what a big thing is. A lot of these players have been doing, it's been paying off these last few years is betting on yourself. Um, you look at, you know, if you know Darius Baisley, um, committed to Syracuse, decided to go. He won at first go to the G League, but ended up becoming an intern for New Balance, who he signed with. And he literally just trained for an entire year, ended up being a first-round pick, and he had he was in rotation for a playoff Oklahoma City Thunder team. So it's just we're seeing a lot of these players betting on themselves, and it's paying off. So it's putting a lot of pressure on the NBA to change their rules, and it's putting a lot of pressure on the NCAA to change those, their rules. I 100% agree. Um... I want to transition back into the NFL draft and the draft happened last Thursday. By the time this comes out, it will be a week from the day this comes out. And I, you know, I sent you a list during the week of like things we were going to talk about. So now I want to talk about three teams you felt like really rocked the draft. And then three teams you felt like, you know, you questioned their draft and how they did. Uh, so how we'll do this is like, I'll, you'll do your number one team. I'll do mine. We can have comments back and forth on each other's and then two and three, and then we'll do the teams we didn't like so well. Yep. Sound good? Yeah. All right. So who was your number one team that you felt like killed the draft? I would think number one team for me has got to be the Arizona Cardinals. Um, obviously getting Simmons at eight is extremely good value for a player that not many people thought would be there at that time. Um, seeing the Panthers pass on them, which I get it. Derek Brown is a fantastic player for the Panthers, but, um, that seeing him fall to the Cardinals is, they ran that card to the podium, probably virtual podium. But, um, and then I think you have to add in that the second round pick for that the Cardinals did not have ended up being DeAndre Hopkins in the trade that happened a few months ago. So it's, with the draft capital they had in this draft, they walked away with Isaiah Simmons, DeAndre Hopkins, and then the third-round pick, they walked away with Josh Jones' tackle from Houston, who a lot of people had first-round pick, definitely second-round pick, falling to the third round. Um, I listened to an interview on the Stick to Football podcast by Bleacher Report with Dana Holgerson when he was talking about Josh Jones, and he had nothing but fantastic things to say about him, says he's a fantastic player, does everything right in the locker room. And I think the Cardinals, who are starting to piece together a very good team, but the offensive line was a big question mark. Kyler Murray was running around with, like a chicken with his head cut off last year. Um, I think adding a tackle like Jones in, who's athletic, who I think can handle the NFL from day one, um, I think that's fantastic. And then they added, I think they added in a couple defensive tackles, which their defensive line kind of struggled a little bit. But their biggest thing was going to be Simmons because I think they were the worst in the NFL with tight ends. And that's Simmons. That's kind of his, that thing. I think, honestly, that's where he excels the most. I think it's going to be covering tackle, tight ends and covering the field. So personally, I think the Cardinals had the best draft. Yeah, I, I mean, I like their draft. Like you said, I'm a, I'm a big Simmons guy. He was number two on my board overall, behind uh, Chase Young, who is a stud. Uh, my my number one team, who I think killed the draft, was the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I say that because first of all, in the, with your first pick, 
you get C.J. Henderson, who many people had as the number two corner and some had above Jeffrey Okuda. So you got Jalen Ramsey's replacement, and you also got rid of A.J. Boye. So you got his replacement mm-hmm. as well. But then to get uh, Chase on later on in the first round, to go along with Josh Allen and Miles Jack and that defensive line, that to me is, a, is going to be a scary defense. And then not to add yeah. Sunult as well in the second round, I felt like they killed it in this draft. And as a Colts fan, the next decade playing these guys is going to be miserable. <laughs> I would definitely agree. I think um, if Minshew can kind of uh, build on what he had going last year before he got benched, um, I, think they could, I think they could be a team that fights for a wild card spot for sure. 100%. And if it doesn't work out, you still got that, that uh, Superman out there in free agency, uh, Cam Newton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so doesn't work out. Cam's still available. Him and Leonard Fournette in the same offense. That'd be mm-hmm. scary. Oh yeah. All right. Who's your number two team, Jake? Um, I probably think I'd have to go with the Bengals here. Obviously, the team with the number one overall pick quarterback. That was a slam home run. You can't miss that pick up. But I think they did really well in the back end too. Um, they had one of the worst linebacking cores in the NFL, um, next to the Browns. Um I think if they added, they added Logan Wilson from Utah, who I was a big fan of. I wanted the Browns to draft him. Um, super productive player, graded out really well. Um, they added, um, I think I can't remember his name, uh, linebacker from Appalachian State. Had some injury concerns, but they said he could have been a borderline second-round talent. I think they got him on day three. Yeah. Um, they added some edge rushers, and then more importantly, they added an offensive lineman or two. Um, I thought they did really well, obviously. They kind of covered all their bases, and then obviously adding T. Higgins on day two. Um, they kind of have some weapons for Joe Burrow. They have a lot of weapons. A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, Auden Tate, T. Higgins. Um, I think the Bengals did really well, obviously. It's kind of a cheap one to do with the number one pick quarterback. But um, I think they did really well. I, I like that. Uh, most most people would be like, well, besides the first two picks, you know, Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. So I've seen a lot of people question it. I, I liked it. I thought drafting T. Higgins was smart. It reminds yeah. me of when they drafted Andy Dalton and AJ Green the same year and how, you know, for the next three years they were borderline unstoppable. So mm-hmm. I mean we'll see if that's what happens there. My number two team, and I know I'm biased, but it's gonna be the <laughs> Indianapolis Colts. We got first of all, we got two guys that were first round picks. I mean I I was gonna be one hundred percent honest with you, I was shocked that we drafted uh Taylor and the reason I'm shocked that we drafted Jonathan Taylor is yards wise and production wise Marlon Mack's been a top 10 running back when healthy in the league I mean he's been you know right up there with some of the others I think two years ago he was about nine yards shy from being the 11th ranked running back in the league or something like that but I like the pick it's going to be a great great pick I think somebody I heard said that he's a, a poor man's version of Saquon Barkley, but he's still better than every running back in this draft. So if if he's anything like Saquon, we're going to be great. And then to get Jacob Eason in the fourth round, not a guy that like I was high on for a second or first round pick, like some people had him going in the second round. I wasn't. I would not have been sold on that. But he's a fourth round pick, and the reason I like it is it doesn't work out. He's a fourth round pick. No, no big loss. If it works out, the man I seem to think is a genius that Dan Dockage hates, whatever, uh, will, you know, look even more like a genius Chris Ballard. What do you think? 
I agree. I thought the Colts had a really good draft. Obviously, the first round pick went towards DeForest Buckner, who's a top end defensive tackle. So that's fantastic value there. Um, I was a big fan of Pittman. I think Pittman's exactly what you guys need when it comes to a big body receiver, a big sure handed body receiver. Um, you kind of Missing out on Ebron having kind of the hiccup year and then letting him go. Um, you kind of have the red zone threat now. I think he's a guy that can kind of have that role in the red zone where he can get 10 touchdowns his rookie year. Maybe not a ton of yards because maybe his run after the catch isn't going to be fantastic. But um, I think he's a guy that can get a ton of red zone touches. Um, I like Taylor. I was a big fan of Taylor. I think the big issue with him is going to be the tread on the tires. He's a guy that had close to 700 touches in college in three yeah. years. Um yeah, I'm glad he got out of there because Wisconsin was running him dry. Um, I think he's a fantastic player. He showed a little bit of pass catching his, um, his last junior year, which I think is big. But I think he's kind of a player like Nick Chubb, where towards the end of the game, he kind of starts to wear defenses down because he kind of he runs at the same intensity in the first quarter that he does in the fourth. And he's a player that just, just keeps going and going and going. And you know he's going to break one. So um, I think he's a fantastic player. But I thought the Colts did really well. I did too, of course. But um, who's your third team, Jake? I'll just go biased with you. <laughs> I'll just – I got to say the Browns here. Um, a lot of people had Wills as their number one tackle. I think getting him at 10, kind of staying put, not making a Trent Williams deal. I'm getting Wills who can kick over to left tackle, in my opinion. He's got fantastic feet. I think he's he's a bully. He's what you want at left tackle. And – I heard he's going to be getting mentored by Joe Thomas this entire process, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I think we basically the, – the formula for this draft was to draft as many LSU players as you can, and we kind of <laughs> did that a little bit. Um, obviously, getting Grant Delpit in the second round was fantastic value. A lot of people had him in the middle of the first round, depending on who it was. Had some issues with tackling, but um, almost like when we drafted Greedy Williams last year, he's a player that had a fantastic sophomore year. Junior year kind of had a hiccup, but the talent is there. I think Delpit's going to start day one at safety. Um, I think he's going to flourish because you're not really – he's not really going to be the thumper. We got Carl Joseph and Anderson Dejo to be our thumpers at safety. Um, I think he's just going to be a fantastic coverage corner, and I'm excited about it. Um, Jacob Phillips didn't know too much about him, the tackle from LSU. He kind of played second fiddle to Patrick Queen in a way, but he was kind of the quarterback of the offense because he took Devin White's spot on the rotation, top ten pick from Tampa Bay. So uh, Phillips, I think he's a guy that could arguably – fight for a day one starting spot. Um, Mac Wilson played a lot, didn't play necessarily well for the Browns, but he was productive. So I think he's going to, the team seems to really like him. And um, then we ended up with, um, I think it was Jordan Elliott from Missouri, who I've heard is a really good interior pass rusher. So anything to kind of bolster that defensive line. But um, my fa one of my favorites was getting Donovan Peoples Jones in the sixth round. Yeah. Um, Michigan was terrible to their wide receivers. I don't know. I, no wide receiver should ever go to Michigan. Um, I thought no quarterback really should either. Yeah, no quarterback should either because Shea Patterson's still looking for a job. <laughs> but um, I think he's a, he's a good big body receiver. He's a smooth route runner. I'm just really excited. We, we re-signed Rashard Higgins, so he's not going to be asked to do too much. He's going to be our fourth, maybe fifth wide receiver, depending on Cordero Hodge. But um, I think I think Peoples Jones is going to be a great talent. I think he's he's going to outplay that six round pick status pretty early in his career. So I thought we did pretty well. I thought we had a pretty um, we didn't have a sexy draft. I thought we did really well of shoring up the trenches and kind of adding what we need because I thought we addressed a lot of needs in free agency too. So and listen, it may not have been sexy, but I think you guys did what you had to do to mm -hmm. get Baker the protection he needs, get him some more weapons, and then then it was just simple as with Grant Delpit select, selecting the best player on the board, 
Delpit was there, and you took him. I, I liked his selection. We were, yeah, we were able to trade back with you guys for Jonathan Taylor and able to still get Delpit. So. Exactly. I forgot about Cleveland selecting Delpit before I chose my third team. I'm going to go with the Carolina Panthers. I mean, mm-hmm. you get Derek Brown in the first round, and then you get Yator Grossmatos in the second, and then Chen as well at safety. I mean, I, Matt It'd Rule is a first-year coach, but I think Matt Rule is going to make the Carolina Panthers. If not a contender, they're going to be an 8-8 eight and eight team that, if they play really well, one or two games, could be a 10-6 and six football team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, they went heavy defense, um, which obviously that's a big thing. That They were really aging on defense. They lost a lot of players on defense. But I think they went with a lot of players that um, – they went with a couple of raw players like Chen. Now, Chen's kind of established, but it's kind of a mid-major guy, so there's not much there. But the Gross Matos is a very raw player. But they were very young on the edge. They were rolling out Julius Peppers two years ago and Mario Addis this past year. I think Brian Burns and getting a guy like Gross Matos. Um, I think a guy like Derek Brown is going to be fantastic for Derek, uh, Brian Burns. I hope he plays a lot more this year because Derek Brown doesn't necessarily uh, stuff the stat sheet, but he does a lot for the edge rushers in the way that he gets that interior pressure, brings the quarterback out, lets the edge rushers kind of finish it off. So I'm really excited about Derek Brown in Carolina. Yeah, I am too. And, I mean, I think the big need for them, I felt, was linebacker. I mean, how are you going to replace Luke Keekley? He retired. But, you know, I felt like they answered pretty well, and they, they filled up the rest of the holes in their defense. They did need a defensive tackle, I felt like. Derek Brown was the best one available. And, and I think um, Chin can really kind of – he can come up and be a thumper sometimes, and just occasionally. Because you have Shaq Thompson, I think, can kind of take those reins. Yeah. He's been there for a while. He's a solid player. I think Chin is – they kind of called him um, – I think Matt Miller from Bleacher were called Chin kind of the mid-round Isaiah Simmons in the way that he can play in the three levels. He can play up on the line of the scrimmage. He can play linebacker. He can play safety. So I think, honestly, Chin might be moved up in some cases because they do have guys like Trey Boston, I think, can kind of be those center fielders. I got gotcha. you. All right, so now we're going to do our teams that we felt like didn't have that good of a draft. I'll kick this one off. I think I'm going to go with the easy pick, and I'm going to choose Green Bay. And not because, <laughs> not because you drafted uh, Jordan Love in the first round, and I love Jordan Love, but because – Kansas City, they're still running. Nobody's tackled a running back from Kansas City yet. Um, who's Aaron Rodgers going to throw to is my question. And you drafted his, his replacement. You drafted his replacement. I Just terrible, terrible drafting by Grudekins in my mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get that completely. Um, I think it's just 15 years they haven't drafted a skill player in like the first round, I think it was, or something like that. Yeah. I think that's ridiculous. I think that's just a utter lack of just what you need. Um, I mean, if you want me to move on, I'll go ahead and say the next one. I'll go with the Chicago Bears. Um, I mean, I think I mean, I think drafting Cole Komet in the second round, I think that was a pretty big reach. Um, drafting a, probably a primarily run-blocking tight end. I watched a lot of Notre Dame games. He, got a, he made a lot of his money on tight end screens, not really anything down the field, which that's kind of the name of the game with what you want to see from a tight end these days is kind of getting vertical. He was more of a horizontal tight end. Not extremely good athlete. I mean, obviously he can run, but um, I don't know. I think that was just pretty big reach. And the Bears, um, they, did, they, don't, they, never have, they don't have many picks from the Clomac trade, but other than that, I thought they were pretty underwhelming. I did too. Uh, I liked the Jalen Johnson trade. I had – or draft, I thought he was a first-round corner. 
but he obviously fell. I think it was the round three. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, my number two team is the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they re- reached extremely high on Jalen Rager when yeah. when uh, the kid from Arizona State is still there, and you draft Jalen Rager. That to me was Justin Jefferson went right after him, and the, uh, Je- Jefferson as well, it's, and went right after him. And then I'm confused. You make Carson Wentz the highest paid guy in the league. And then you draft Jalen Hurts again, another reach in the second round. And then you come out, Holly Roseman, and say, I drafted him because we missed on Russell Wilson. Like, you just paid Carson Wentz $100 million or $137 million. I was confused by that draft pick. And I, I mean, congrats, you drafted a backup quarterback. But <laughs> I mean, he's not Nick Foles. And, it's not like Nick Foles is the God, but Nick Foles can at least throw the football. I don't know if Jalen Hurts can in the NFL. I don't know if he has what it takes to be a passer in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I thought they, they kind of missed on their first two picks by a mile. I think Rager is a guy that he's basically – he's very similar to like saw his NFL comparison on NFL.com was Nelson Aguilar. Um, he's a guy that he's athletic. He can, he can kind of stretch the field, but he had, he, I think he had like 10 to 15 drops. At TCU last year, didn't even amass like 800 yards receiving. Um, when you have guys like Justin Jefferson, sure-handed, that put up 18 touchdowns, um, was thriving with Joe Burrow, and then you draft, um, and then you draft Jalen Hurts, which I'm not. I just I saw them mention something about Taysom Hill with him, with just his, like nails on a chalkboard to me. Cause I don't think Jalen Hurts is anything like Taysom Hill. I think Jalen Hurts. I think that's not giving Hurts enough credit. I'm not a big Hurts guy. But I think he's a quarterback. He's not what Taysom Hill is because I do not believe Taysom Hill's a quarterback. I think that was kind of a slap in the face to him. And you draft a guy in the second round to be a utility special team slash, like, utility quarterback. I think that's terrible. And, you know, I'm a big Tebow guy, but I bring this back up to Tim about this being Tim Tebow at the New York Jets. I mean, the second Carson – I mean, he was at times during the year last year pretty bad, Carson Wentz was. There were times last year where he was pretty bad. But if he starts to play bad or he gets hurt again and then Jalen Hurts happens to come in and put together a good four-game stretch or five-game stretch like Teddy Bridgewater did, because you drafted him in the second round, you just started a quarterback controversy. And for a guy you just paid $100 million to, that's another reason it confuses me. Yeah. But I Mm – and then my third team, I mean, I struggle with this one, but I, yeah, I'm going to go. There weren't any, like after the, like the first few, there weren't a ton of huge, there's a lot of underwhelming drafts, but there yeah. weren't a ton of just bad drafts. Yeah. I would go with the bears too, for all the things that you said, mm-hmm. the Cole commit was a little confusing to me and just some of the things that the decisions they made in the draft. I agree. It will mm-hmm. probably be my third team as well. I think um, the Seahawks do this every year, and then they always end up turning their players into superstars. But I don't know. I thought they kind of reached a little bit on Brooks. Um, I liked Brooks from Texas Tech, but I thought they kind of reached a little bit. They always seem – they always kind of go by their own – they always go their own path. They don't really care. They always seem to reach on players. Everyone seems to think they reach. It always seems to work out for them. But this time I think they kind of reached a little bit again. Um, I know their first-round pick last year, I don't think he saw the field all year. But yeah. – um, this, it seems to work for the Seahawks, so I can't really hurt it, hurt it too much. But another one would be just a singular pick would be Arnett going to the Raiders. I thought that was a pretty big reach. 
Yeah, that was a huge reach. And then the kid from Auburn, I can't pronounce his name. Yeah, that was that was a pretty underwhelming one too. That was a surprise. That was a but, huge surprise, yeah. Yeah, some people liked him, but I just I didn't know too much about him. You know more than me about it, but I didn't know too much about him. I didn't I honestly had not heard of him. I I listened to a lot of Chris Sims and mm-hmm. he does his rankings for corners. And he did his top 5. He didn't he didn't make the top 5. I, I listened to Matt Miller. I hadn't heard him talk about him a whole lot, but from what I did hear afterwards, he was a guy that I think had an injury and couldn't really, didn't really, you know, show the talent that he had because of the injury. So I think it was a, we, we hope this guy works out to be what the talent shows, but the -hmm. the production wasn't there. Yeah. But, yeah, like, like we were saying, there's no, there wasn't a ton of bad drafts. Um, there were some head-scratching picks here and there, but a lot of that could maybe just be attributed to just that this is a pretty unpredictable draft. Yeah. There was a lot of surprises in this draft. We didn't really know about it. So, I mean, I did hear on the Pat McAfee show before uh, before the draft, he was talking about how he was going to release his mock draft, and he talked to some of his friends in the league, and they said this this year of all years will be the year that the mock drafts are more wrong than they've ever been. And I think it has to do with the fact that the coronavirus and us not getting the, being able to see them run in their pro days, like we had before some of the other Mm -hmm. stuff that we've seen before, which is why, you know, the kid from the Arnett kid from Ohio state in the corner from Auburn was very strange to us, but maybe not as much to the guys within the league. Yeah. I 100% agree there. All right. And then I want to end it with this, Jake. Listen, we're both big sports guys. Uh, for when you first met me, and up until I would say honestly, till I met Lindsay, sports was my life. Like that's who I was. That's what I. That's what I identified as. And then when, so to hear that the NCAA tournament got canceled, the NBA season's canceled, all these sports are canceled. It it was it was a big impact. It made a big impact on me. Mm-hmm. How has not having sports impacted you? in your life? Oh, that's made a huge impact on me. Number one, because my Milwaukee Bucks probably going to win the NBA championship. Now we don't <laughs> even know if they're going to get a chance at it. Exactly. Um, best team they probably, best team we probably ever had since like Kareem. But, um, and then you add in the NCAA tournament is March Madness, my favorite, single favorite sporting event in the end of everything, like next to anything. Um, it was pretty heartbreaking to see. And most of it was pretty heartbreaking to just see it from the side of just the players, like teams that had, senior lineups um like Isaiah Tisdale from Vincennes played East Tennessee State his team won 30 games beat LSU and on their way to the NCAA tournament and then their careers are over in the snap of a finger but it was just the first couple weeks checking my phone checking Yahoo Sports and realizing oh there's nothing there and just having to try to figure out what else I'm going to do with my life um but it's been it's been it's been crazy it's going to be something we're going to tell our kids about but we'll get through it we'll get through it I, I believe so. I think it's going to be different. Again, they're saying this may last till August. Yeah. If that's the case, then the football season's talked about not starting till October. Yeah. We're even playing without fans. And I MLB, think MLB said June, I think. Yeah. Could you imagine how surreal that would be to watch a football game with no fans? Yeah. I think they said some soccer teams did that in Europe with uh, no fans, and it was very weird to watch the footage of that. Yeah, I bet it was. Well, Jake, thanks for joining me today, and thanks for being on the podcast. You'll be back some more, but (laughs) thank you. All right. Thanks, Stu. It was a good time. I enjoyed being on. Thank you.